Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. So like last week, we're going to start with the scripture uh, and just let it kind of sit in the background as we walk through it and some pieces in this series we're in. So Acts chapter 17, um, verse 16, you can find it on the screen as well with us uh, and follow along. So I'll, I'll read it. It's a little bit longer, but it's a story. So I love when we get to read stories in scripture. So let's, let's kind of let this, it just immerse ourselves in it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to, to debate with him. And some of them asked, like, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they, they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching in, in, that, that you're presenting? You bring some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent t- their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like my local coffee shop. Anyways, um, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so they would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he set a time, a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this topic. And at that, Paul left the council. And some people became followers of Paul and they believed. Some of them, uh, among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Pretty awesome story. We're going to just pray for a moment. God, just captivate our hearts and minds as we want to take these few weeks to really understand what it means to share the good news of Jesus, the good news of your kingdom in our world and our increasing secular world and post-Christian world that we started talking about last week. Uh, So just give us discernment and wisdom and grab a hold of our hearts in areas that we need to this morning, my own included. God, I just surrender that to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And this is obviously a snapshot of what happened. Luke couldn't tell us every little detail. detail. But when I read this, it reminds me of a wedding I, uh, I helped a couple walk towards last, uh, last year. And uh, it was both of the, this couple, great couple, and I got to meet their, their parents and uh, family members and friends. And so we had done, I'd done the rehearsal with them, the rehearsal before the wedding, two days uh, earlier. And uh, I noticed really quickly that most of the family and friends like were, either not Christian, not religious, couldn't care less about faith, and um, we had, we had, although we had some great conversations, and they invited me after the, after the rehearsal to come back to somebody's house and hang out with them and have dinner together and spend time with them, and so um, one of, the, one of the, the, the spouse's dad came with me. I've never met him. I've only heard about him because I'm friends with the, the, the groom. And uh, so he's like, hey, I'll, I'll jump in the car and drive with you. So I have 35 minutes with this dad I never met, uh, who's kind of a self-made man and self-proclaimed atheist and uh, had a, you know, batch of a bad experience with the church when he was a kid and just in his own ways kind of like grew out of it. And we had 35 minutes chatting together. I get to the house, uh, chatting with a bunch of people. One person of the family is like so immersed in, 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 in kind of talk around mythology and some novels. And uh, one of the brothers, like just super smart, PhD, innovative science and medicine. And, uh, you know, just others who maybe had some bad experiences of faith or religion. A lot of like agnostic and atheist conversation. And here was me, like Dave, the pastor in the middle of all this. And uh, I loved it. I mean, this was like a secular cocktail. Like it was just like the world was in this, in this living room around this table. And, uh, and I realize if you're you know, familiar with the phrase, like I wasn't in Kansas anymore, right? Um, it's just a different thing. And so we're in this series called Alert, sharing good news or good news in a secular culture. Last week, we described that we, we no longer live in a world that is, is primarily um, kind of governed or influenced um, by, by Christian ideas. We live in a post-Christian world, very similar to the first church that was in a pre-Christian world. And here in this story we just read in Acts 17, Paul finds himself in Athens, first century. And uh, if you would read like a little bit earlier, Acts 13 and those chapters up until where we are and even up to chapter 20, Paul's on these missionary journeys. He's traveling from place to place with some colleagues and other Christ followers. He's uh, meeting people. He's talking about Jesus. He's inviting people to believe. He's starting churches. And then, you know, some of the letters of Paul describe some of the people he met in some of the churches that got started. Now, for Paul, it was a pretty normal setting to walk into a city, go check out the Jewish synagogue, and talk to the Jews at first, and, uh, and that was kind of his M.O., and then he gets to this town called Berea, and the previous town um, that, that he went to with the people of the, of the, the, the Thessalonians, uh, there were these Jews from that town that heard that he was in the next town, and they're like, we don't want Paul, this guy going like to the next town, so they come and they start, a, start up a big stir, uh, cause like this conflict, and they're upset that Paul's talking to more Jews about Jesus, so Paul's colleagues are like, Paul, you know what, take a break from this. We're going to get you out. We're going to send you to the coast. And they literally like take him out of this situation, say you're out, take a break. He ends up in Athens. He ends up in Athens and he, he, he now Athens was never part of the plan. Athens was a random stop to get him away from what was happening for a little while before he would get back on mission. And Paul takes this opportunity, like maybe some of you would, I would totally, he's walking the city. 
He's looking at, he's checking out the cafes and the local coffee shops and what people do and what people think and what are the signs and what are the billboards. And he's walking around and he, he, he observes culture and people and he gets him into some gospel trouble. Because uh, you can imagine walking in the streets as a keen observer, but he doesn't lose his passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ, right? And Luke tells us that as he walks the city, he's distressed. He's because he sees all these idols. Now, in that time frame, right, idols would have been figurines or statues or buildings or parts of buildings that would have represented the various Greek gods and culture at the time. And Paul was looking at all these cultural cues and these, these religious cues or whatever cues they were for that, that culture. But more than idols, Paul didn't just confront idols. He confronted ideas that he found in this city that were quite new to him. And we read that, that he hung out in the Jewish synagogue for a bit, but then he went to the marketplace. And now, for Paul, he would often go to the synagogue. He had a Jewish background, even though he was a Roman citizen, and he, would, he understood how to talk with people with a Jewish mindset. They had part of the story of God through, through the Scriptures, and then he was introducing them to Jesus, the Messiah, who would come and fulfill their purposes, which we talked about last week. And that was, he was familiar to that, but then he goes to the marketplace, and he's sitting among business leaders and cultural leaders and philosophers. And he's now in the middle of not idols, but ideas. And he, Luke highlights at least two of the, the, the major ideas around that he's listening to. And one is the Epicureans and the others are the Stoics. These were two philosophies of the time, pretty major for Athens and Greece. And the Epicureans, their, their sentiment was like, you know what? I can figure out my life on my own without, God, without a God. There was no sense of a transcendent God. They're like, we're going to figure out life. We're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. And that's kind of like modern, modern deism today. Deism says, there's a God that exists, but he's pretty separate from me. He doesn't care. So the Epicureans kind of had that idea. The, the Stoics were a little bit different. They, they almost sounded a little bit new age and a little bit like, rah, rah, you're going to make your life so great. Just there's a God inside you. And if you harness the God and the power inside you, then you can harness that towards a good quality life. So you had the Epicureans, the Stoics. Now, even as I mentioned this from first century, doesn't that sound familiar today? Isn't that very common in our culture? Like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to figure out my life, I'm going to make my life work, and there's no God that I need help with. Or the other side is, there's a God inside of me, and I'm going to harness that power so I can live a good life and be successful or whatever. And uh, as much as Judeo-Christianity has influenced the Western world, there's other ideas like the Epicureans and the Stoics that have also influenced the Western world. And so Athens hits Paul like a Mack truck. He's in a different world. And he's at the epicenter of the global village that he's not yet familiar with. Have you ever walked, have you ever gone somewhere, visited somewhere, you're like, this is like another world. 10, 11 years ago, I went to Thailand, and I got a chance to spend in the north of Thailand like a whole week with Christ followers from both Thailand and Laos across the Mekong River, uh, Christ followers that were very 
uh, persecuted, struggling, but they came over to Thailand to be resourced and encouraged. I had an awesome time listening, learning, hearing about their life and what life was like. Very foreign to me. But I remember I arrived at, in, in Bangkok late at night, got into the, to the hotel. There was somebody already in my room. There was another pastor in the room, and so we had shared rooms. It was like pitch black. I don't even know what this guy looked like. I li- he literally left me a note, and then, then he woke me up at 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Anyways, it was crazy. that's another story. I just got off. That was, that was fun. But that morning, there was a church in Bangkok that I wanted to visit because it was the one day, one Sunday I had in Bangkok. So I, so I found out about this church. They were writing kind of a, a pocket of Bangkok. So I found out how to get there. This is very foreign to me. Like I took the metro in Bangkok at seven in the morning to find this church and it was another world. There's zero Christian references. There's zero things that looked like Montreal. I mean, maybe there was the, the exquisite shopping district where they tried to mimic New York, but that was about it. And there were so many things around that culture, although it was beautiful and wonderful, it was another world. And that's kind of like how Paul, I think how Paul felt as he walks into Athens and it just hits him like, oh, this is not the, like the Jewish ghetto I would go into every city, or this is not the Roman Empire that I'm a little bit used to. Now, Paul wasn't primitive, he wasn't uneducated, but this world of ideas were new to him, not processed. And that, I bet you some of us feel like that with secularism. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit that the world is changing. We don't want to say we're in a post-Christian world. And especially Christians who've been Christians for a long time and have become accustomed to, you know, the church and the goodness of the church and, and some values that the church, that the church and culture shared. As, we're, as culture shifting, hopefully not the church, but as culture shifting, some people are like, hey, this is different. And that's what secularism feels like. It feels like a new culture, like a new language, like a new system. Now, we have fragments and shadows and decoration of Christian influence, but we're increasingly growing to be a post-Christian world. That's where we live as a church. This hasn't, by the way, this has not surprised the Holy Spirit at all. Don't worry. But have you ever considered in a culture that is more post-Christian, Sharing the gospel can sound like strange ideas to people. That's what, Paul, that's what these, these people say when Paul talks about the good news of Jesus who rose from the dead. And they're like, what are these strange ideas that this guy's talking about? I mean, in the Jewish synagogue, they're like, okay, we don't think he's the Messiah, but he's, Paul's still talking about a Messiah, right? There was some connection. But here is like, what, what are these strange ideas? They call Paul a babbler. He's advocating foreign gods. Because he's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. So they're intrigued, even though they don't believe him. They're like, let's, let's take you to the hotspot, Paul. And they bring him to the Areopagus, which is known as Mars Hill. And the Areopagus, if you can show the picture, uh, is just a, a raised place uh, in Athens that overlooked the next picture is the Acropolis. And so it, it was the epicenter of Greek culture and philosophy, And they bring Paul over there because that's where everybody's discussing these different and new ideas. And they were welcome to hear. And like I've said, in our secular world, many ideas are valid, but not not many ideas ideas get primary attention. And Paul engages the conversation. He shares the good news. But now something changes. Now he's like, oh, I'm not talking to a Jewish person who who knows who Moses is. 
I'm not talking to this person who would have known that God promised an, you know, a fulfillment of King David's kingdom. He's like, what am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to talk? How am I going to share? So Paul has to discern how this culture is different than the culture or the people he has normally been sharing this good news with. And I think Paul takes a step back. Now, just for a second, I want you to recognize, because I was trying to think, how, does this, how is Athens first century similar to Montreal 21st century? or our world 21st century. And I think there's some similarities. Like when Paul walks in the city, he's like, hey, you're religious in, uh, in, in every way. People can walk into Montreal, even if it's not faith. They can say, you're religious in every way. I mean, when the Canadians play downtown, 20,000 people show up and cheer. And if they lose, they riot. And like, what is this God you believe in? Big capital C with an H in the middle. Like, what is that, you know? And so, so... You know, I think as, as Paul is looking at the city, he's like, you guys are religious in every way. We could look, walk our city and say, you're religious in every way. Hockey's a religion. Technology's a religion. Knowledge is a religion. Uh, self-help-ism is a religion. Going to the mall is our modern temple as we walk into the mall and we worship the Gap and, you know, Louis Vuitton and whatever, and we bow at their feet and give them our credit cards and take our money, please, make our life better, Right? And so these things are the religions of our day. I think as Paul walked through Athens, he's like, yeah, you guys are religious in every way. We can walk in our city and find some similar things. I think in Athens, he realized, oh, there's no reference point for the biblical story. Nobody knows who Moses is. King David, some of the prophets, the justice that the scriptures speak about. There's no reference point for a biblical story. When Paul walked from the synagogue to the marketplace, it's a different audience. And I think my heart in this series is we as a church need to understand not that the gospel has changed or the good news of God's, of, of God's kingdom has changed, although sometimes we need to understand it in much better and more robust ways, but we need to understand that the way we even share good news today is very different than someone would have even listened to it 50 years ago or 100 years ago because they lived in a different world where every church, every street corner had a church and almost everybody you met at work maybe went to church if you lived in a city like Toronto or Montreal and in Quebec, especially with Catholicism and such. But So it's very different now. Today, many people who either have no religious background or no uh, religion connection at all, but at times we... We still, because we have cultural memory and friends and family and those and how we read the scriptures and grow together, sometimes we think, well, the faith, our faith should, should still look credible to people and admired and widely accepted and seen in cultural symbols, but they don't as much as they used to. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's good. I'm just saying that that's reality, right? And another thing that was very similar to Athens that is similar today is we live in a pluralistic world where every idea has a seat at the table. It's no longer one idea that's primary. Every idea has a seat at the table. You know what that means? That means that if Christianity had a bigger seat at the table, then people would listen more to it. But when Christianity doesn't have a seat at the table or it's equal to everybody else, all of a sudden, that news needs to make sense to the people at the table. They're not going to just assume it. That's really important for us to understand. Don't those things feel similar to our culture? First century Athens? Today, pre-Christian, post-Christian. N.T. Wright describes this moment in Paul's life. He says, Athens, I love the word he uses, Athens is the showdown between the new young faith, like 
Christ followers, the new young faith, and the old established tried and tested philosophies of the Western world, which still in various modern guises or disguises dominate people's thinking. And I love what he says here. He says, until we've gone through this confrontation, we are not ready for the global contest. Montreal is more like Athens than the Jewish synagogues. Your workplace, your neighborhood is more like Athens than the Jewish synagogues. So what does Paul do? He still preaches, but he, as he begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which is our message, and he realizes this is another world. I'm not in Kansas anymore. He steps back, and he says, okay, <laughs> what do I do? Like, where do I start? Like, what, 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 what words do I use? Uh, how can I help them understand this? So he has passion, but he also backs up a bit. And a couple of things he does that I think is so helpful for you and me today. He doesn't directly bash their gods. He doesn't agree with them. He doesn't honor them. He doesn't worship them, but he doesn't bash them in the moment. Notice from verse 16 where he's distressed about the idols. In verse 23, he's like, I notice your objects of worship. <laughs> Isn't that different? In his heart, when he walked the city, he was grieved. But when he met them, he says, ah, man, I notice your, object, your objects of worship. That fascinates me. In other words, what they worship is the path to, their, to the conversation, even if we disagree. Several years ago, I, I was leading a discussion group at John Abbott College, and uh, there's various clubs or groups in the college, uh, and there's a Christian group there, and they had invited me to come lead a discussion for six or ten weeks, and it was fun. I loved it. Actually, Alex was was there like that long ago so you can go talk to him he legitimately knows that this is a true story but but they, they actually they did an amazing job of being a hospitable group of Christ followers in this pluralistic secular college even though they believed in the good news of Jesus Christ they had really good relationships with the other clubs and the other clubs were muslim clubs lgbtq clubs wicca club this club some other, other maybe ethnic clubs, whatever it was. And I remember there was someone from the Wicca club. They, you know what Wicca is? It's kind of like a modern version of witchcraft. You know, really looks nice, and you can find a self-help book and chapters about it. Okay, I don't recommend it. I'm just telling you this is what it is, right? So, so the Wicca club is, is, you know, down the hall from the Christian club, and there was a student that was interested sometimes in some of our discussions, and so we knew that there was relationship building there. So I remember one day, I thought, well, I'm going to go check out the Wicca club. So I go, and I walk in the room, and let's face it, it was weird. It was weird. There was thing, books that they had, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I would recommend these books, I'd look, look stuff on the wall, whatever. I saw the book we were discussing was also in the middle of all that, a plurality of ideas, right? Pluralistic. So I remember walk, walking in there, and I sat down with them. And I could have said, what is this abomination to the Lord on your bookshelf? Get this out of here, let's, whatever, right? But I, I sat down with them, and I was like, hey, I, I noticed what gives your life meaning. Could you tell me more about it? Because in that moment, they, had, they have no reference point. So it was a moment of understanding like how Paul backed up. It's like how sometimes we need to back up and say, hey, I noticed what gives your life meaning. That was a really good experience for me. Um, another really good experience for me is, is um, oh, you know what, I'll share that later. So now you have a little bit of 
Has, you know, you'll just wait for that. But so, so the next thing Paul says is, right, he's like, hey, I noticed the inscription to your unknown God. And again, he doesn't knock them. He doesn't comment. I noticed this inscription to the unknown God. He didn't expect the culture to know the God of the Jews, the God of the risen Jesus, or the risen Jesus, the Lord. He didn't expect that. He recognized their hunger for things that were giving their life meaning and their religious expressions or desires or cravings for that to strive to find meaning. So Paul just said, hey, notice the inscription of your unknown God. And then he does something that I think is so incredible because as much as, as much as his heart and his passion is for them to come to know who Jesus is and discover the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God's kingdom, that God king, get, God's kingdom broke into the, our world and their world so they would be invited to know who God is, he backs up and, and he did, he was preaching Jesus, but then he backs up and he's like, let me, let me highlight creation for you. And verse 24 to 26 I think are really amazing. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations. They, stood, they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries in their land. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That's, that's like Paul's way of saying the kingdom of God is near. And then he quotes their philosophers. He quotes two philosophers of the time. And he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's one philosopher. And he quotes another one where he says, we are his offspring. It sounds like he's quoting scripture. But he's not. He's quoting their philosophers. He's using their language to help them understand the craving and hunger in their own heart. And I, I think that's so vital. Where Paul just helps them, just pause for a second and reflect and say, how can this God who's created everything and give you and I life and breath live in temples? How is that possible? And he's got them thinking. I'll come back to the, the wedding that I was a part of. And one of the themes I love to share at weddings, especially if it's a very blurred, pluralistic environment, is I don't believe that's a place to um, alert people to the significance of their sin in the wedding ceremony, <laughs> um, nor to call out the parents and family and friends and highlight a life of separation from the Lord. So I, I, don't, I actually, I get really grieved when I'm at funerals and weddings and the people leading them, I know they have a good heart. I think in their mind they're like, there's a hundred people in this room. Maybe I can get them all to follow Jesus right now. And I'm like, in the funerals, I'm like, but there's, a grieving, there's grieving people right now. Maybe that's the focus. And how can you share a seed of the gospel without sharing the whole gospel so maybe there's both comfort and hunger? And I think it's the same for, for weddings. That's me. That, that's my approach. So in, the, in, this, in this wedding... Um, I loved being able to just, I knew who was there. I hung out with them on the Thursday night before. It's, the whole, it's just a plurality of our culture. And so I was able to highlight God's creation. Both those spouses were God's creation. Both those spouses were valuable. Both those spouses, the Lord said about them, you're very good. Both those spouses are, are, are there in that moment and they're image bearers, even though they're in a broken state and imperfect and I love the conversations I get to have with people after that that are not Christians because they're like, I didn't realize that 
Christianity has something to say to like my marriage or my life or my world. And this particular writing I was, I was very encouraged by because the, the crowd was very diverse. And that the couple came to me, you know, four or five weeks later and says, you know, um, they just said, thank you for the posture you took because for some reason, two, three weeks later, our family and friends who you know, you know, just kind of who they are and where they're at, they were, they were talking about the wedding for two, three weeks. Because in, in my heart, it's like, how can we drop a seed of hunger in people's hearts when, they're not, when they don't have a framework for the whole story? And Paul, I think, had the ability of doing that. He's like, God did all this so people would search for him, so people would long for him. And he even quotes their own poets to alert their attention to their humanity and creation and how they too are part of God's plan. He quotes their poets to help them understand this. And then he does discern how to alert them to the gospel. He doesn't mention Jesus again. He mentions the man who was raised from the dead, who is part of God's plan to come and make the world right. That's the word judgment, that God will want to come and make the world right and bring justice and reconciliation and goodness and truth. And that's part of, that's part of the fulfillment of God's kingdom, that God would make all things right. And he does that through judgment, and Jesus is part of that. But when he comes back to talk about Jesus, he realizes they don't have a framework for him yet. But I want them to know that there's a man that was raised from the dead that shows that God's plan is true and just and that they can search for him. Isn't that amazing? So there's this sensitivity to the culture that I think we need in our world, in our time frame. When you're talking to your friends at work, when you're thinking about what the gospel means to a neighbor, when you're talking about a family member who has no reference point to the gospel, or maybe is like just the tests, is like, no, 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 I don't want, I hate belief, I hate religion. To be, how to have a sensitivity there. So just think about what Paul did. He didn't repeat the message and methods from the synagogues. He's like, I'm in a different. I'm, I'm in a different situation. Go back to Acts 3, very different. Speaking to, to God-honoring Greeks, he's like, he spoke much more, much more open and, and, and much more direct, but in Acts 17 he didn't. He didn't assume that they had the framework that others would have had to even hear about Jesus. And he observed, and he learned, and he listened, and he discerned. And yes, he did alert them to the good news in a way that they could consider it. Because plurality of ideas there. And I want you to know, did you notice their responses? Their responses is not unlike any responses you and I should ever expect when we share good news. There's three responses. Luke tells us that in that moment, some scoffed and sneered. Some were like, what is this? This is ridiculous. Get lost. They scoffed and they sneered. Some did that. Some said, hey, when can we hear this again? I'm, I'm interested. I want to hear a little bit more. And sometimes you've heard me or us say, like, when we're doing a larger event or Christmas or an event that's not a Sunday and friends are here, and, or, or we just highlight, hey, you might be here for the first time. And often you hear me say, maybe your next best, best step is just coming back next week. Because that's all they need to know. Because if you've brought a friend because your son or daughter are singing on the stage, they didn't come to church to be converted. They came to church because their nephew's on the stage. Now, we pray that they would hear a seed of the gospel, but they not, might not be ready that day. So part of that, reading this, I'm like, you know what? Maybe your next step is just, hey, come back next week. 
because there could be a curiosity. And that's, some people responded that way. They're like, hey, when can we hear this again? And then some, some believed and followed and became part of this movement of the way, the way of God's kingdom, following Jesus. They recognized at some point, if they were believers and followers of Jesus, we know from the other patterns of the New Testament, they would have repented, they would have moved towards baptism, they would have begun the journey in discipleship, and they would have been growing. Some scoffed, some were interested for more, curious, and some believed. And I, why am I telling us this? Don't expect anything different in our world. Don't expect that every time you, you say the name of Jesus, all the 10 people in front of you are like, I'm in. <laughs> we can't expect that. It never happens. So we need to recognize how God is at work and how people respond in their own time. And so here's my encouragement as we, as we close today, is how might you and I find ourselves, maybe intentionally put ourselves Paul was kind of forced to go to Athens. I get it. But how would we find ourselves, put ourselves in situations not just to proclaim the good news, that's obviously important, but to learn the culture that we're in so we can proclaim the good news in the, in the culture we're in today? What kind of place, for me, hanging out at John Abbott and walking down the hall to the Wicca Club was a way for me to like stretch my understanding my mind. When I was doing my Master's of Theology at Concordia, I was surprised. I, I loved my classes. I wasn't, it wasn't a Christian seminary. I had a Catholic background, which was great, but I had already done like a, like studied immersely in the Bible, in Bible school, in an evangelical school, and I did my, my, um, in my Master's of Concordia. I remember some of the first classes, I'm like, we're studying theology. I'm like, I realize this person doesn't even believe who God is. Another young guy was like, he had a fascination with the papacy, and he just took theology to get there. Another guy had a fascination with the classics and knew that if you don't take theology, you can't study the classics. I remember meeting a girl from Harvard, a genius, incredibly smart girl who ran a tutoring school in Montreal for young people to get to track their way to Yale and Harvard. That's how smart she was. And I said, are you a follower of Jesus? She's like, no. I said, why are you here? She says, because I want to understand faith. I'm like, you took a master's degree to understand faith. Why don't you go to church one day? Anyway, it's so funny. But, but I, I swear, when I, was, when I was in that environment, it just taught me, it helped me see like, okay, wait a second. There's a world outside the church that I don't understand sometimes. And so sometimes you guys hear me talk about like the city and coffee shops and whatever. And as I love art and the city and culture. But one of the under, under the radar motivations is I, I want to understand the heartbeat of our city. So I was in a coffee shop in Point Claire Village and uh, they had a, an advertisement when I was paying for my coffee and it said, um, uh, it said conversations on death um, next whatever Tuesday and led by a death doula, and uh, don't freak out, I'll tell you what that is, a death doula and other people. So I'm like, oh, wow. So I asked the owner, I said, what, what is this? She said, well, you know, with, with less and less people going to church, she told me that, even some uh, Presbyterian or other ministers, and I, it doesn't really matter where, but they were like, they were saying, no, people don't know how to process death. So you know how there's birth doulas, people who help women give birth? Well, there's this new thing, death doulas, because there's people in our culture 
that when they get to the moment of death, they're not saying, I want to believe, I want to believe, but they're, they're like, how do I even, what, what, do I, what do I do? Like, is there something I should do, something I should think about, something I should say, some, like when I get to that moment? And for me, as much as I'm saying, oh my gosh, I wish they knew the good news of the gospel of God's kingdom. When I read Paul, I'm like, I'm going to go to that conversational group because I want to understand what people are thinking about death so we can help point them to life. But also just to understand. And so that's my, I want, that's my, I want to step into that so I can understand. I'm not saying you have to, but if you want to join me on it, you know, let me know and we'll, I'll tell you the date and we'll go together and we'll listen. But what is the environment God is leading you to? And here's why I think this is true, because the Holy Spirit did it to Paul. The Holy Spirit orchestrated his moment in Athens. Paul never planned to go to Athens. His colleagues never planned to send him to Athens. They didn't know that this other, this other Jewish group was going to freak out and cause a stir and they had to pull him out for a season. It was never part of the missionary journey, but God allowed him to go through Athens to teach Paul how to interact with the pluralistic global village of the Greek world of the time. That wasn't a Jewish synagogue. It wasn't even the Roman Empire. It was the the Greeks and the philosophers. And if the Holy Spirit orchestrated that for him, where are we, maybe where are opportunities for us to learn in our culture, to learn in our neighborhoods, to learn in our coffee shops, to learn uh, in, around so we can understand the hunger of the heart in our world. Amen? Because God's going to use us. God's going to use us and he's going to give us discernment. If we're willing He's going to discern, give us discernment. Not to go in those places and just do, I did this here, I'm going to do it here. This, this is the phrase I know. I'm going to repeat the phrase here. He's going to give us discernment to know what to say and when to say and how to say it and when to step back and when not to give the whole gospel but maybe to give a seed of the gospel. It's a whole other story, but he'll give us discernment for that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. We're so grateful. Even as we read um, the way Paul was able to describe you to the philosophers of the time, that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You've created all things. Our very breath and life come from you. We thank you, oh God, that you have created humanity, every person we lock eyes with in your image. And we know that while there is a brokenness in the human spirit, a brokenness of connection to you and connection to others and connection to our world, we also know there's a hunger for reconciliation, a hunger for hope, a hunger for relationship. And while some might not articulate it, God, that hunger is so deep in the human heart. So God, would you equip us in our places of work, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at the gym, at the library, in the discussion groups, in the coffee shops of our city, would you equip us by your Holy Spirit to become learners of, our, of, 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 of how people are seeking for meaning and purpose in our world? And may you guide us, possibly like you guided Paul, or maybe in a way you want to guide us, particularly for 2023 in Montreal, where moments we need to step back and discern how we're going to interact in the conversations. Lord, while we so long to be a people and a church 
that partner with the mission of the gospel, that we would be proclaimers alongside John the Baptist and, and Jesus, your son, and Paul and the church, that we would be proclaimers of the good news of your kingdom and your son Jesus and his resurrection. As much as we long to do that, God, will you give us discernment in every pocket that we're in, Lord, and trust you for it, Lord Jesus. May we get out of the way. May our ego get out of the way. May our perceived outcomes get out of the way. Help us to trust you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. And God, help us to trust you for the reactions, whether they're scoffing, curiosity, or belief. Let us trust you for that too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.